Welcome to the Category Thinkers Podcast, a feature of the Category Thinkers community. And while other category design podcasts are real busy talking about the lofty concepts that they've come up with, our job here is to teach you to think like a category designer. And that's why in this episode, we are diving into the thinking behind the CMO of one of the best known categories and category kings out there. Kit Bodner, CMO at HubSpot. And with Kit, we dive into a bunch of really interesting things. We, we definitely get to the point where we're talking about AI and the future of AI affecting categories and how in a world where relationships are trying to be automated, category design is a superpower. But we also talk about a lot of misconceptions that folks have around category design for what size of company it is and you know, strategies like that. This is a conversation between Kip, uh, me, Pablo, and John Ruji, who is one of my co-founders at Category Thinkers. And what we'd really like for you to do is to join our community where you can get to spend time with us and continue the conversation of what's going on here. You can do that at CategoryThinkers.com. And right now is where we'd like to thank our sponsors. One is the Category Design Advisors. You can check them out at CategoryDesignAdvisors.com. They developed the POV for this community, and I just attended one of their workshops in uh, New York. It's phenomenal. So check out CategoryDesignAdvisors.com for your category design needs. And second is BeTheStage.Live, which is my company that produces this podcast and some of the community strategy. But for now, I want you to enjoy this episode with Kit Bodner, CMO of HubSpot. And as soon as you're done here, go to CategoryThinkers.com. Stop just listening and join in on the conversation. I think even today, inbound is what, 15 plus years old. So that's, I, I think that's the term that people still associate with HubSpot. Whether you want that to be the case or not, you can tell us. But that's those two terms, those two ideas are somewhat synonymous. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on the role that inbound and inbound methodology plays for HubSpot today and how has that evolved since 2009? Yeah, so I'll zoom us out a little bit. I think category design and category in general is different depending on the phase and stage of your business. And those phases are normally startup, product market fit stage. Next stage would be like, you're scaling up, you've got one product that's really cranking and working. Then you go to maybe having multiple products that are really cranking and working. And then maybe in the case of really large organizations, you build a platform or a really large scale suite of products that you're serving your market. And so I think your approach to whether you want to create a category, play an existing category, what have you, is different depending on where you are in those stages and what the other players in that market look like. If you looked at when we started inbound marketing at HubSpot, the marketing category for marketing technology 15 years ago wasn't that well-defined, wasn't that many competitors. And so the kind of category du jour at the time was marketing automation, which was a pretty bland category. And we thought it was just a subset of what the bigger problem that marketers were facing was, which was this 
that the internet had just completely changed the way people shopped and bought and democratized publishing and information access in a different way that allowed marketers to run a whole new playbook that we called inbound marketing. And then back to your like thesis of your question, which is like, all right, 15 years later, what does that mean? It means that inbound marketing is still a thing. It's still very important in the world. And especially depending on what part of the globe, what country you're in, and how sophisticated the kind of online publishing infrastructure in that country is, it can be kind of important to critically important. It is still a huge part of the work that we do and talk about, but it's not the primary category we serve. As you get to be a large scaled up organization, you play in multiple categories, right? And so we still play in the inbound marketing category. We just happen to play in the CRM category, the sales technology category, other categories in addition to inbound marketing. Was there a point in time where you felt like inbound was limiting what you needed to do as a business? I think it was I think it was the inverse, which is we as a business were building a suite of products beyond marketing. It wasn't even just inbound. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, we had this amazing first chapter of this business as a marketing technology company and specifically an inbound marketing company. And that was incredible. But then we started building tools for salespeople and customer service people. And inbound marketing doesn't really apply to to sales and to customer service. So you need a bigger umbrella category that does apply to those so that they understand. And that category at the time, I think was CRM. And then you had help desk software and Salesforce automation and some other subcategories for sales and service professionals to play in. But you had a broader category need than just inbound marketing. Mm. That, that reminds me of something that Mike Volk mentioned to me on a, yeah. on a podcast a few years ago. He, he has one of my favorite quotes that I still pull out from time to time. And it's this idea, you've probably heard it before. You Every company has two choices. You can go build and design a new category, mm-hmm. or you can occupy a niche within an existing space. Yes. Of course, when he left HubSpot and went to Lola.com, he talked about building a niche within an existing space. And you just mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned CRM. You mentioned operations tools, customer service, customer support tools. Tell me about where HubSpot's thinking was along that spectrum of design a new category, occupy a niche within an existing one for those tools you just mentioned. Yeah, I think there was a there's a third option there that is the worst option. I don't know. Welcome, welcome <laughs> both here. your opinions on that, which is try to adapt the current category, which ha- happens a lot in categories. And so if you take the CRM category, for example, you've seen a lot of people try to append a different word onto CRM and make that a thing. They're like, redefine what that category means. That's hard to do because Business brands don't define categories, customers define categories, right? In terms of what they are actually looking for from that solution. I think brands and analysts and folks help shape like what that like name, the top level name is of that category, but the customer largely defines everything else. And we learned our lessons that you don't ever want to try to adapt a category. And we just come off of a long slog of building the inbound marketing category. It takes a good four to seven years to really build a category from scratch. Like it's a long grind. And 
to make that choice, you just say, I think you have to look at the category. And the category we were serving, for example, you had the, the biggest leader in market share at salesforce.com at that time had about less than less than 30% market share at the time. And what uh, time period are you, what year is this? Uh, this was probably like five years ago, uh, roughly. Um, they still only have less than a third market share. And the majority of market share was non-consumption, inertia. And so if you have a mar- if you have a category where non-consumption is the majority of market share, I think it's a fine to go and play in that category for a while versus go and start a new category. I think if you're going into a category where 100% of the market is consumed by existing players and it's highly competitive and those players are battling for a couple points of market share back and forth every year, then that's probably a better time to think about maybe creating a new category. Because the, the reality is, the, what I firmly believe regardless of your category, is there's always going to be an incumbent in the market, whether you're the incumbent or you're going up against the incumbent. And if you're going up against an incumbent, the worst thing you can ever do is play by that incumbent's rules. And the incumbent normally writes the rules of the road. This is how you should think about this product. This is how the sales experience should be. The marketing experience should be. And your only way to try to disrupt them is to go counter to that and make their weaknesses your strengths and really take advantage of that. And I think that goes with also category selection as well. So if there's no room in a category for you, go write some new rules and be aggressive, understand there's more risk there. But as you you start to make progress, you put those incumbents playing defense instead of offense, which is exactly where you want them. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you saw something different that you could address from Salesforce's approach with CRM. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so yeah, break that down for us. What were those vectors? Salesforce is an amazing company. They've, they've done really great, but they built that product through acquiring lots of other companies was their path to growth. They wanted to solve their customers' problems quickly. I, I, I totally respect all of that. Our path was to build our own product. And so while it took longer, it was way more integrated, way easier to use, way more seamless. So we thought there was actually like a very clear choice. It wasn't us trying to argue better in this category with some incumbent that had a lot bigger market share, right? Instead, we are trying to say, hey, here's a clear choice. That's why we think our choice is better. We get it if you think the other choice is better or other choices are better. It's a market, lots of players. But that we thought there were clear things we had differentiated on the product side. We were doing a product-led go-to-market. So you could try before you buy. You could really experience all of that like fr- firsthand. You didn't need to go through a big, arduous inside sales process. So we thought we were highly differentiated within an existing category versus differentiating on the category itself. You didn't feel like it was a situation where reinventing the CRM or trying to diverge completely I think it would have been detrimental because we were trying to do everything else so different that I think we needed the anchor of an existing category like CRM at the time. I like what you said, though. You mentioned you weren't trying to say, hey, we're a better choice than Salesforce in an explicit way. You you hit this on this idea of 
forcing a choice between your approach and sales yeah, we're different. approach, right? Different is good. Everybody, if you're looking at options, you shouldn't look at options for anything that are like pretty similar to each other, right? You mm-hmm. should be shopping and looking at very different things and then evaluating what do I need and which version of different works best for me, right? Right, right. Pablo, what do you think? We we miss anything there or anything you want to unpack from the Smalley perspective? I've been taking a ton of notes. This is awesome. The... <clears throat> In the last part there, I think the thing that really stands out to me is the difference between selling into a existing market of people that are using a solution to solve a problem mm-hmm. and differentiating within that sounds like a niche issue versus how you activate a dormant market. Sounds like a very different type of approach that I had never heard the difference between the two. And as I think about it, I think of this idea of liquid death having these canned waters. Mm -hmm. And even though people had tried to sell canned water before, what these folks did was essentially selling canned waters to people that were drinking at a party. So it didn't look like they weren't drinking. It looked like Um, they were drinking a beer when they're drinking water. It was awesome. Brilliant idea. Yeah. So I just, that, that, that rings out to me, this idea of entering a a new market, a, a market for people that are dormant users and then the differentiation in the business model being based that if you're going to do that, product-led makes a lot of sense. And this idea of this is natively built for you and you can learn to use it as you go along versus giant investment and then learn how to use it based on experts was the things that rung out to me. I don't know. Yeah. And it's, not, and it's not just even dormant markets, right? It could be like a market where there is a meaningful percentage where folks just aren't adopting that solution. And why aren't they adopting that solution? There's some type of friction. There's some type of barrier that the people serving that market now just haven't addressed for one reason or another. Can you go into that market, understand what those barriers are, and break the barriers down? And for us, it was a lot of like accessibility, product-led, free. Why don't you go and like actually figure out like it's such a such a big commitment, right? To pick, hey, this is a system that I'm all of my marketing and sales people are going to use. Why don't you actually get in there and, and understand what it does versus taking a leap of faith, I think was something that was important in this particular category. Other barriers exist in different categories. One of the pieces of, of thinking I, I find myself referencing on almost every interview is the piece that the category pirates put together about eight category levers. Mm-hmm. And hearing you talk about this more, it's reminding me, or it's making me think of one of those levers, which is a radically different experience, radically different user experience in your case. Yeah. And I, I think that it reinforces this idea that category design is a discipline. Sometimes it means that inbound path of creating something entirely new. Other times it can mean being radically different on in a, in a smaller way, but still in a way where you're forcing a choice and you're not competing head to head, making claims that we're better, but you're talking about a different approach. And it, if I'm hearing you correctly, it really sounds like that was the thinking with the play in yeah, CRM. Yeah, I think I love the work that Chris and you all and lots of the category design folks have done over the years in general. Sometimes it gets taken to the far extreme that you always need to create a new category for something. And that category design means really create a category. And that's not the case. It, it, to me, it's there's times you want to create a category. There's times you want to design how you want to play within an existing category, right? Yeah. And it depends on where you are in the life cycle of your own company and then where that category is in its life cycle too. Yeah. So looking 
at HubSpot from the outside. I want to share a perspective. Sure. And you can tell me if it's a correct or an incorrect interpretation. You're not going to hurt my feelings if it's if I'm off. Cool. But uh, last year, you started talking about connected customer. There's a big mm-hmm. push at the last inbound. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the language appear pretty heavily handed or heavy handed mm-hmm. at the end of 2022. And I haven't seen it as prominent recently. To me, it looks like an attempt to define a new category, define a new space. And I'm not seeing it come out the way I saw inbound evangelized so, several years ago. So yeah, I'm curious, I, is it actually a category play or am I looking at it the wrong way? What's what's your take? No, I don't, I don't, I don't think that the, this notion of customer connection is a category play. I think it is what we believe the core challenge in this in the market of all what do you whatever you want to call it, it's broader than say front office software whatever like true umbrella term you want to use if you the, the reason for this is that especially in this new era of ai it's going to be easier than ever to have as much sales or marketing activity as you want you could send 100 personalized emails a minute if you want, right? Like you can do whatever you want. And so it's really about the true connection and depth of connection that's going to matter much more than activity. And so if you think about that, it's not a category. A category is like a name of technology, right? Mm -hmm. Like customer connection is to us, it's similar to inbound in that like inbound was both a methodology and a category where customer connection is like, hey, this is the approach and strategy you need to have in the market. And we've got a lot coming later this year. I think what you're referring to, like last, what, nine months ago, we unveiled our point of view around all of this. And we've spent the last nine months like doing a bunch of research, getting some fun data, like putting a bunch of meat on that bone and that we'll be sharing over the back half of this year. So I'm I'm excited about that, but it's less a category than it is an actual methodology or how we believe you should be thinking about running your go-to-market, running your business today. Let me clarify one thing there. Because when you say it's not a category, I'm going to, let me back up for a second. Everything you said up to the point of when you said it's not a category, I was thinking, man, this sounds like a a new category, but I want to swap notes on definitions here. When you say it's not a category, I think you're talking about like analyst Gartner Forrester categories. And when I think say category, I'm thinking a, a, a new space in the minds of a buyer, which could turn into that. Yeah, I, I'm talking uh, to me, if we want to talk about category and definition, it's like the name of the solution bucket that people are looking for. Mm-hmm. And so, so for example, if you want to take the CRM category, the customer relationship management software category, the category has been around for a long time. There have been lots of different methodologies in that category, whether it be social selling, whether we could probably go back and pull out a whole couple dozen of them, but they weren't the category, right? They were they were methodologies with that you use this technology for. And some vendors would argue that their technology was the best for that methodology. And they they might have been right. But that that to me is the discrepancy. What's your take, Pablo? When I think of category, I think of what is the main problem that I want to enter the synapses of the brain on. And I think 
less so about is it is it the supermarket aisle of software or is it the supermarket aisle of connection to the customer. Like I, I, as Kip was talking about his research on it or, or, or what he was talking about, I was like, yeah, he's talking about the, the problem he's solving. Like we're moving away from this place of putting out content to have people come to me and moving to this place where we are truly trying to forge relationships. And I heard a real from to and what he talked about of where it was going to where it was moving and from my perspective, I have a hard time differentiating whether that's the category, the strategic narrative, the from to, like all the different right. things. But that's it all started blending together for me at one point there. Yeah. First of all, I love a from to. Who doesn't love a from to? Everything's better than a from to. And for folks listening, that means like used to work this way. Now it works this way. This is, this is the argument I'm making that categories are less important. Categories are more important when you have a mid to high level of information asymmetry, where it's like, oh, I need to talk to a, a human to get access to this information to make my decision. In a world where I believe with artificial intelligence, you will have zero information asymmetry, and, and or said differently, like 100% symmetry, like the buyer and seller will have the same amount of information, then like, Categories are become far less important because then I'm just going doing some work, some research, maybe asking a, a, a different AI bot like questions around my use cases. This is what I'm trying to accomplish, or this is what I am trying to do. And then it's like, all right, the companies that win there is not the companies with the best category. That's the companies that have the best PLG experience, where that the minute the the fastest time from use case question to use case action, like those things are what are ultimately I think are going to matter more and more in the future. Yes, categories will still exist and be around. I think they're going to be less important because of that. What I'm hearing you say is meeting buyers based on problems they're experiencing is ultimately more important than the nomenclature you attach to the solution. Yeah, and I'm saying the buying process is going to change additionally. The buying process. Right now, you're like, I got to have these lists of problems. And then a sales rep or an analyst or some human tells me that list of problems is called ERP software or whatever kind of category you, you want to pick. And then I'm like, cool, all right, now that I know that, I'm going to look at everybody who plays in that, that ERP software category, right? And I'm saying in the future... I'm going to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to say, Hey, my problems are I need to more easily bill my customers. I need to take ACH and wire payments for fees less than 10 basis points per transaction. And I need it to be compliant with HIPAA and I need it to be all these things. And then AI is going to be able to, Oh, great. Here are some tools that do that. You can get started with them today to try out. Or you can connect with somebody to have another cycle of questions answered on, on that. And so it's a different, just I think it's the same experience, but done in a more buyer-guided way than a seller-guided way. So what's interesting about what you just said is you listed a bunch of known problems that customers know of themselves. Yes. I was reading some of your 
some of the, the material that you and, and HubSpot have produced on AI. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how is AI going to reshape inbound, CRM, marketing automation? Are these categories going to evolve? You mentioned earlier that categories can die and go away. Do you see any of that thinking come up with AI? What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think we are in the very early days of artificial intelligence and anybody pretending to be able to prognosticate that much is full of shit. I think what we can do is get aligned about principles that we think are true given what we know about the technology today and let those principles guide how we think about things. I got a few for you. I, it's for an upcoming episode of my pod that I have in my notes. I'll go ahead and share for you, share with you. So it's like when I think about AI, I, I think about a few things. I think that anything that in your business that relies on like brute force human manual work will be disrupted. And if you believe that to be true, which I believe, then that's going to create a lot of new categories and probably get rid of some old categories to your initial question, right? I also believe that the understanding of complex topics is now commoditized. So the internet democratized access to information. The second generation of the internet, the social web, democratized access to each other and social connection, the social graph. The third generation of the internet or artificial intelligence is democratizing, commoditizing understanding. And so if you know that understanding is now commoditized and we can both be on the level playing field of a rather complex topic faster than ever before, that is drastically, I think, going to change how people buy and the content and the topics they consider. I think that chat user user interfaces are going to be just as important as graphical user interfaces. And so how people experience products and services online is going to change dramatically. I'm sure as heck think that's going to disrupt a bunch of categories. I, I, I think if you start thinking about these, you can make my argument that categories can be less important, but you could also make the argument that category design and the creation of new categories has never been more important to understand because the categories that are going to be important remaining are also all going to be new. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to be these old legacy categories. A couple other, I would say, we talked about information asymmetry already. My favorite thing that got I consumed this year was an article by Packy McCormick called Intelligence Superabundance. And it was all about like, throughout human history, anytime we've gotten cheap access to something, call it the printing press, what what have you, what it's actually done is it's not like we've not gotten a bunch of productivity. We've just consumed orders and orders of magnitude more. We've just used it way more than we ever have before. And so I believe that's going to be true in the future as well. The, The last thing I'd leave you with is I think... Consumer impatience will be at an all-time high because you are going to be able to get real-time conversations about anything relevant to you 24 hours a day. And if the, and that is going to be an input to really change expectations and make things and, and make interactions with consumers be way more impatient, which coming back to category design, I would argue, is it's going to be even more important than ever. I think you all would probably uh, agree. It's always been important to have very clear framing, value props, and everything of your category. But 
that's just going to become way more important. You are going to need to have the most plain spoken, simple, direct category and framing of your problems and solutions because of that consumer impatience. Those are the things that I think we can see happening now can maybe agree on, and that they're going to have some pretty broad reaching impacts to to businesses. Thank you for that. And Pablo, where do you think we should unpack that further? I, I lost count of the number of uh, bullet points. I unloaded my, my big thought, thought bomb of the day on you all. I think there's, there's, there's two places where I would just love to compliment Kip on really brilliant stuff. One is First generation of the internet is access. Second generation is distribution. Third generation is understanding, I think is a brilliant, unobvious to obvious moment that I just had in my head, right? So this idea of, oh, okay, this is where it's going and where the value is going to be, I think is great. The other piece that I find interesting in the macro conversation, me being the noble fool is real because I parachuted into marketing. I didn't, I was informed as a marketer. I'm just a relationship builder that is able to back into marketing. We're, we're happy to have you here. The more no, the no, merrier, no, no, no. baby. I mean it. I just mean from everything that I'm hearing from you, it feels, and this is what has been intuitive for me through this journey, is the idea that marketing is turning into relationship building. And for everything that you're talking about right now, while we we're talking about category as a problem that you solve based on a software solution or service or something like that. If everything you're saying is correct, which is that AI is going to commoditize everything and you're going to understand everything and everybody can develop a market that whatever, we're going back to the day of, I'm just doing business with Kip because I trust Kip or because Kip loves puppies or because Kip is the guy that's going to give me the fastest speed to win. And this idea of customer connectivity And what y'all are working on to me feels like a mega category maneuver of you will be able to run your business based on the values that you care about and the experience that you want to give without any kind of limit to it. Yeah. And it keeps elevating to that in my, in the part of my brain. I think that's a really smart take on this. And like, I think the example that I've had in my head is like, Imagine me. I don't know how to read or write music. I don't know how to play an instrument. But because of artificial intelligence, I could make a song today. I could now get a song out into the world. And that is the democratization of understanding. Anybody who has a song or anybody who has an idea can really get that out there, which means there's going to be a lot more competition. I also think that means there's going to be a lot more awesome stuff in the world. And I'm super optimistic and excited about that. But then You're going to still need deep relationships and deep connection to manage that noise and to understand your trusted sources, whether they be leaders or aggregators, what they may be, to actually get to what you're looking for. So I would agree with you in that, just even if you look at a very basic example of what I think could embody that. So Kip, you've been at HubSpot decade plus, 13 years. You've gone through a lot of chapters. We've hit on probably most of them here, evolution of inbound, expansion to the connected customer, expansion to other categories. I'd love for you to maybe reflect on some of the things that you might have done differently. Some of the things where maybe you could have had a bigger impact had you taken a different approach, or maybe there's some missteps that you're able to share and teach some others about from your experience. Anything that comes to mind there? 
think, I think there's a few things, right? In the early days of inbound marketing, when you're creating a category, it's just it's like going to the gym. You got to go to the gym for a few months until you actually like really look different. It's, it's like this leap of faith that you got to keep doing it. And so I think one of the mistakes is just like somebody who skips some days at the gym. It's I think we knew what we knew now. We would have been way more steadfast, way more consistent, way more aggressive because we would have just gotten to the end point sooner. And that is just a hard thing to keep in perspective, like when you're right in the middle of it. I think another mistake we talked about is trying to create micro categories is a bad idea. So like we had, we have, we have, a, we have a, a CMS product, a content management system product. And the first branding of that, we, it was all about your marketing and how it was going to optimize your website. So we was like, oh, this is a content optimization system. And it's no, the CMS market is this giant freaking market that if you have 1% market share, you're essentially a billion dollar company and trying to create this, if it's not even your core offering, right? It's like a secondary, like tertiary product for you trying to create a category there. No, you can create one category at a time and that's it. It's all you can do. It's all you can do. Just say no to everything else, right? Like you can have one thing different. You got to say no to to everything else. And I think that's part of it. I think another lesson, I don't know that it was necessarily made this mistake, but I've just would say I've seen it in hindsight is you do not have 100% control of timing, right? Like you might have an idea and you might think it is the best thing in the world, but the world might not yet be ready for it. And the world is not yet ready for it because the technology to make it true is too expensive. The current market offering is good. And what you're trying to do is not different enough. There's a whole host of reasons, but creating a a proper category is timing. We learned that with inbound marketing, like the timing of that was perfect because it coincided with the second generation of the internet, with Web2, with all of the doors it opened and unlocked for marketers, right? We couldn't have done inbound marketing. Even though we were right a couple of years earlier, we would have failed. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Last point, especially, there's a book that we like to reference by Steven Johnson, and he talks about this idea of what he calls the adjacent possible. Mm -hmm. And you hit it upon that concept. You hit the nail on the head. It's when someone gets beyond this horizon of what's technically possible or what users and or what users are able to actually wrap their heads around and use. And a lot of times you're absolutely right. There's an idea that a founder or founding team is excited about, and they want the timing to be right. Reality is it's not, not and right. they may not have the, the runway or the will and or the willpower to wait for that timing to meet the present. Yeah, it's, there's also like this issue of you think there's only that one moment you could ever do it in. Oh, if we're going to create this category, it's got to be right now. No, you can go play in that old category for a year or two and then say, oh, now the timing is right for us. Now we can go and change the game. Uh, it, what people miss is the clarity around what needs to be true for us to do this right now. And if you're just clear on like, these things need to be true and either they are true, we should do it or they're not true. And we should check every three, six months, whatever, depending on how dynamic those are, when those things become true, then we should commit to doing it. The discussions you have around those checkpoints, I would imagine that there are a lot more complex today than they were years ago, given the fact that you're a much larger company, you have more stakeholders, you're publicly traded. Sure. And I'd love to to hear how your 
approach to not just marketing, but to, to business to, to, uh, as a category designer? How how's that changed now that you are publicly traded? Are there things you can do that you couldn't before? Are there ch- challenges, yeah. constraints? The financial market you participate in, I don't think has any bearing on this particular topic, right? It's largely the breadth and complexity of your product offering. Like you could be a $5 billion public company and have one product and be very straightforward potentially if the market was big enough and have a very different issue than a $100 million private company who had who was getting there off of 50 different products, right? Like you, you just, it, it's very different in, in that regard. And so normally it, the thing that impacts you is the sophistication of your product offering. And if you're selling those product to the products to the same buyer or different buyers, right? Normally your category work gets much more complex the more buyers you have involved in addition to the number of products that you're selling. And so I think that has been had the biggest bearing is that now we sell to a lot of different decision makers. And so if you were going to create if we were going to create a new category today, for example, it would have to be broad enough to be applicable to the majority of our decision makers to actually like resonate and move the business forward. It couldn't just be in marketing, it couldn't just be in sales, for example. So you're saying that this the stakes that you're playing with today require you to think about category design at at a, at a much broader level. It can't just at be a broader a... level of abstraction. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the most of the challenge of this for anybody is, am I thinking about it at the right level of abstraction, which means how specific do I need to be or do, how vague do I need to be? And mm-hmm. the and, ob- and obviously, the more diverse the pool of people who are hearing this message, the more vague or broad it has to be to resonate with them. And you run the risk of it being too broad and not resonating or not impacting or reaching anybody. And that's the, the gamble, I think, in all of it. <coughs> if uh, someone's listening to this and they're starting to get to that point where product offering is more complex, the user base is more complex, and they're maybe in the past decision-making consensus building internally has been at a level of complexity, we'll call it level A, and they're about to get closer to level B. Things are becoming more complex. They're approaching the, the place where you are. What advice do you have for them on how to navigate that change in dynamic? Try to get some help from somebody who's navigated that before, because I do think it is very easy to lie to yourself in those situations and be like, it's not going to be that complex. It's not going to be that hard, or we don't have to do that much to manage the changes. It's a big change. And it's an exercise, not just in like messaging, it's an exercise in organizational alignment. And like getting everybody moving in the same direction. And so I think that's very hard and ask for help. If you're just like a humble marketing leader working with your CEO to figure it out and you're a hundred plus million dollar business, like maybe get some help. Like it's a bigger deal. Like it's a more important thing to do than that and treat it, give it the respect and the, like the magnitude of impact it, it can and should have on your business. Appreciate that insight. Yeah. Pablo, we covered a lot of ground. Do you feel like we miss anything? Piece we need to double back on, unpack further. I wonder if you have any any advice there. It sounds like we're there at this like idea of a directional inflection point of your complexity moves, and you got to change the level of abstraction. Seems like one of those moments. 
I, I wonder if there is any other advice on, you mentioned organizational alignment, like any advice yeah. on how y'all handled or tips to handle the organizational alignment piece when a step towards either abstracting or de-abstracting the category strategy comes in? Yeah, I think it first starts with every company should have that one slide that is, hey, this is what my brand is. This is the category I play in. Here's here's my product names. Here are the reasons to believe my product. Your brand and product architecture slide, lots of different versions of them, right? There's lots of different ways and formats people like them. But I, I would first say have that and have a discussion about that every six to 12 months with your leadership team so that you get the timing of that change, right? And you're like, oh, our category is feeling very antiquated. We're hearing that from our customers. It's time to make a change. Because once you have that framed up and you're having it with that conversations at a board meeting or at an executive meeting, what have you, then that's what's going to force the alignment. Because everybody is going to be in agreement from the beginning. You're right. We got to we have to make some changes with our category and how we're and we're how we are positioning and describing our business. All right. Normally the marketing leader's job would be to go and lead that effort and come back with some recommendations. But then the marketing leader needs to be very clear around this is what I need from each of the other senior leaders. CEO, this is how I need you to drive this message with our employees and with the board. Leader, sales leader, this is how I need you to enable and make sure over the next year our sales team understand how we're repositioned and everything here. CS team, this is how we are going to talk about this at renewal, everything else. That's the process that I think fundamentally works the best is when people are on the same page and you don't have one rogue exec or one rogue marketing leader just trying to drive the category change process when maybe everybody else isn't yet ready for it. It's like an internal marketing deployment kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Cool. If I always enjoy every conversation we have, and I don't think this will be the last one, but anything else you want to talk about today? No, I think we covered, I think we covered a ton of fun stuff. I hope this was valuable for everybody that listened today. And please reach out to me if you've got any questions or anything you want to get clarified from the chat today. Absolutely. We appreciate you. We appreciate the work that you're doing at HubSpot. We appreciate your thinking and can't wait to share this episode out there and best of luck to you the rest of the year. Awesome. Thanks all. See ya. All right. Take care. There you go. Another conversation about the thinking of category design and how to execute it while you are in the middle of it. If you're enjoying these podcasts, we'd love to get some feedback from you. We'd love it if you left a real quick five-star review, maybe wrote something in there. But more than anything, what we really want is for you to go to CategoryThinkers.com and join the Slack community. That's where over 500 other category thinkers like yourself are debating these shows, talking about their POVs and the things they're seeing, identifying categories in the wild, and more than anything, striking up relationships. So stop listening and start joining the conversation at CategoryThinkers.com.